Hello and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media and made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I am your patient, advocate, and host, Patrick James Lynch. Hey, and I am your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, and your other host, Amy Board, reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. On today's show, the World Federation of Hemophilia's biannual World Congress took place earlier this month in Montreal, Canada. Amy and I were there. We were there. We presented. We presented. We attended. We attended. We absorbed the information and we recorded some audio that we have to share with you a little later in the program. May, that's the month we're in. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. Mm. Each year, millions of Americans face the reality of living with a mental illness. And during May, there is a national movement to fight stigma, provide support, educate the public, and advocate for policies that support people with mental illness and their families. And today on Bloodstream, we present our latest Let's Talk Mental Health segment, led by Believe Limited's Joshua Sterling Bragg, Today's segment is a powerful one on loss, and it will conclude today's episode. Shout out to Sanofi for making that segment possible. And as we are approaching the end of May and the start of June, and with it, the beginning of summer, Amy Borden and I have some summer plans to talk about. Well, not together, but maybe we do. You'll find out, because that's coming up a little bit later, as well as all of that other stuff on today's episode. Welcome to Bloodstream. Hey, dear listeners, thank you for listening. And if you haven't already, be sure to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Episodes of the Bloodstream podcast can also be listened to and shared directly from Facebook. Huh. Did you even know? That's a thing on Bloodstream Media's Facebook page. And as always, if you have suggestions for topics or guests, or if you have questions for Patrick or myself, ping us on social media or email us at mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. I also want to remind you, Bloodstream listeners, that the Bloodstream podcast is made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Yes, that's right, Takeda. Takeda, they've got this website, bleedingdisorders.com, where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds. I'm for it, and are dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey, wherever on that journey they may be. And you can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. One more time, though you probably don't need it, bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream Podcast, I would just like to say thanks, Takeda. Thanks, Takeda. So Amy Board, may I just say, that it is very nice to be back in our cozy little podcast studio I know. together again. We, it feels like it's been a while. It does kind of feel like it. it I think it has been a while. Kind of, relatively speaking. Yeah. Because it wasn't that long ago we did every single one of these remote. That is true. But now this place feels like it's yes. a, a home base. And so yeah. while I, I've really enjoyed recording on the road in Texas yes. at HFA and in Montreal for WFH, it's been great. I'm glad we could bring the listeners that audio and little yeah. you know textures of these meetings but I just want to express my gratitude for being back here in this little room with you. Oh, me too. Me too. I just want you to know that my my note here is to say something profound and really funny. That's correct. That was my instruction. That was it's highlighted and uh, <laughs> in bold. I just want everyone to know that I'm failing at that note. <laughs> failing <laughs> profoundly and very funnily. I might add failing. Well played. Well played. <laughs> uh, well, we're we're going to discuss Von Willebrand disease, yes. mild hemophilia, women with hemophilia. It was, WFH was a great meeting. Uh, hemophilia treatment options, factor memetics, gene therapy, all the fun words and, and terms that, uh, and that will come during our WFH segment. But before all that, Amy, 
As I was saying there in the intro, I do want to acknowledge it's the end of May. Summer is rapidly approaching somehow. I know. (laughs) This is the third summer since the start of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it certainly, to me anyway, feels like the most secure and predictable summer that we've had since the start of the pandemic. And as we get closer, I find that I'm thinking about it. You know, the weather, the rhythms, the unique opportunities of summer, the chance to see certain people whose schedules are different because it's summer. And I'm thinking along these lines more like I did in 2019, yeah. 18, 17, you know, back then when when life was so bright. Was it bright? Was it though? I don't, maybe it wasn't. I can't remember. Memories? No, I don't know. The BC before COVID era <laughs> just is a blur now. But, you know, I'm feeling young again, Bordeaux. I'm feeling those old 2018, 19 vibes. <laughs> and I'm ready for a summer where I'm not just eating ice cream to drown out dread, yes. anxiety, fear, and isolation. Yes. Uh, so wait, that's not your goal? That's correct. No, not this time. Um, Bummer. I'm going to tell you about my goals and summer thoughts (laughs) in a minute. But what are yours? Am I alone in this? Does this summer coming up feel like ho-hum to you? Does anything feel different? Here we are in late May. I will say from a work perspective, summer tends to be my busiest season. Mm. And so... I, I think I'm gearing up for that uh, in in terms of like the, like it feels normal. Like we're, we're traveling again, we're doing those things and it just feels, it feels more normal. But I love the, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I guess I have um, not really thought a lot about it in terms of like, oh, summer's coming up and it's different. This has been a really good exercise for me to be like, wow, what? What should summer look like? What does summer feel like? I think small things, even like going out to dinner, I, 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 th- I think people have been very, um, it's, it's been a variety of what people have felt comfortable over the past two years in terms of pandemic mm-hmm. stuff. But um, we haven't gone out to eat a lot here in LA. And it's not necessarily out of safety. I think it's out of laziness. Like we just got used to mm. delivery and we're like, fine, we'll do that. And so... Um, to just, I, I think, put more energy in exploring the town, um, doing things. We started going back to yoga, uh, which has just been marvelous. And just to get back into those rhythms, I think, is a really good thing. So actually, this thinking about, you know, kind of talking about this a little bit has been a really good exercise. What about you? What are you thinking? What are your goals? Do you have summer goals? Well, kind of. Here, I mean, I'm, I'm probably about to say it, so that's going to screw The thing is, and I— you know, it's Mental Health Awareness Month, so in the spirit of being honest about one's mental, um, you know, I hesitate to state a clear goal yeah, for myself I do too. because I don't want to fail. I, I don't want to come up short. And I know I've abandoned yes. goals and plans in the past, and I don't like the feeling of failing myself yes. again. Yes. However, uh, in the spirit of trying to uh, improve myself and and like work through that rather than just get defeated by it, I was kind of figuring out. I have uh, my next appointment to get a cortisone shot. Oh yeah, coming up in the beginning of June. Yeah, and I was looking at the summer and schedule, and while there's busyness, I'm gonna have. I, I can commit to something. Mm. And I was looking at these twelve weeks of like June through mid August, and I was like, can I make these the best twelve weeks health wise? that I've had certainly since the start of the pandemic, if not since, I don't know, for in a very long time. Yeah. Um, physical, mental, soul, health. And so that's kind of my goal is to use June, July and the first two weeks of August, these 12 weeks with the cortisone shot where my physical ankle, my biggest challenge is, you know, temporarily anyway mitigated. 
and take advantage of that time to really try to boost my nutrition game, to try to add more variety to my stretching and strengthening, just protect stuff a little bit more, and just try to move my whole situation a bit healthier. That is my goal. Love that. That's so great. Have you found like like something to keep you honest? Have you found like an app or like— no, I, I, is that a thing? I, well, I, it's sometimes for me. Again, I can kind of like adopt an abandoned system sometimes, so I, I hesitate to be like, "Oh, here, this thing, I'm going to yeah. commit to this." But I have recently started using a magnet calendar on my fridge. It's a two-week calendar, so it just has all the stuff. And that was motivated by I'm, I'm solo dadding once again right now. So Natalie's working, flying around. So I'm with Natalie. We got Russ. Got the stuff going on. So just to make sure that like you know the diaper bags checked, the yeah. meals are packed, my lunch is accounted for. Russ has yeah. been walked. His eye cream is in there. The ear thing is being dealt with. Da, da, da. I have a calendar with all this stuff sort of mapped out in the in the kitchen, and I'm just there crossing <laughs> things out and adding things. It's a little crazy, um, but it helps me organize myself. Mm So I'm thinking if I can continue to build momentum with that tool, then I can use that, uh, you know, to just trickle in my own personal health and fitness goals as well. That is so great. I don't celebrate it yet, though. I got to do something first. Yeah, but just the, I think the energy to do that, and it's like, it's it's, um, building habit that, you know, I think you can always call back to because habits always go by the wayside, but building like a habit that you can recognize. So when it does start to slip, it's like, okay, I've had two weeks of travel or stress or, you know, not feeling well or something. You can like, this is somewhere, these are some steps that I want to take to get back in it because that's how life goes. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I'm glad you actually said that. You remind me of uh, a little plug for the Global Hemophilia Report here. There's something that Dr. Cataline Fisher... Uh, says in the episode that just came out in real time yesterday uh, on the 26th about, uh, she uses the analogy of a, of a Tesla. And if you get a Tesla and you just had, you know, your Camry or whatever, sorry, Toyota, <laughs> but you had, the, you know, Camry before that. And then you've got a Tesla. And for the first week, it's like, wow, I've got a Tesla. It does this, look at this, it does this. And then after that first week, it's just your car. <gasps> and how we have such an ability to adapt that we yes. can forget to take stock of like progress and when things do improve and her point in context is about how that can skew like patient reported outcomes Mm. and like what their stances are because we're just we can adapt so well that we lose sight of like anyway you get the point so what you just reminded me of is my baseline for health in general has risen a lot in my adult life and certainly over the last number of years but i've gotten kind of complacent with, like I can deviate now from a two-week habit, a two-week baseline and be like, all right, I got to get back. I got to get back. But even what I get back to, there's room to raise that ceiling. Like I've just gotten comfortable with that baseline. I got to push the baseline. I got to break through the baseline. Um, and I have I don't hear like people kind of talk like that, but that's that's what it is. It's, I I know I'm I'm doing okay. Yeah. But I can do I can push this baseline. So that's what I want to try to do this summer. That's so fantastic. Yeah. Thanks. Wish me luck. I'm gonna need it. That's so great. <laughs> and I and I love that you're timing it with your quarter zone shot. I think that's smart. Yeah. And uh, it'll it'll be uh, I can't wait for updates and to see how it trickles into everything else. I know. Now I've got this accountability mechanism that I just built for myself here on the Bloodstream Podcast for better or for worse. So, yeah, we'll keep you posted on that. And um, summer plans—we want to hear your summer plans, listeners. Let like, us know. what do you got? What do you got going? Also, we'll again be together at BDC. We will coming up in Texas in August. Bye, Texas <laughs> in August. <laughs> Fortunately, it is a mainly indoor meeting. 
Uh, that's the one good thing I've noticed is like you somehow still have to bring sweaters, you know, because you're in cold conference rooms I know. all the time. Anytime you go to a conference in Texas in August, it's like, well, I guess I'm packing my sweatshirts. Yeah, okay. And I my puffies. Prepare for 108 yeah. as well as for 60 yes. or below yeah. even. So that's fun. Um, and speaking of conferences, we'll now go back in time to so just a couple of weeks ago. And you can hear Amy and I reflect during the final day of WFH's World Congress. That's coming up in just a moment here. Listeners, just before we jump into that, the Bloodstream Podcast is brought to you in part by a new educational gene therapy resource from CSL Bearing called Heme Evolution. Heme Evolution. As gene therapy research continues for people living with hemophilia B, CSL Bearing has developed an educational website called Heme Evolution. Heme Evolution. That allows visitors to explore the advancing science around gene therapy and the potential to address unmet needs in some people with this condition. Mm. Gene therapy is an innovative approach to treatment for a medical condition by introducing a new fully functioning or working gene into the body or by turning off or changing that gene that is causing the condition. Hmm. For people with hemophilia B, gene therapy has the potential to sustain blood clotting ability. To learn more, check out www.hemevolution.com. Hemevolution. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and with that, let us go back in time to Montreal to the WFH World Congress. All right, I'm here with Amy. Say hi, Amy. Oh, this is me. Hi, I'm Amy. Hi, Amy. It's good to see you. Uh, If you hear some background, it's because we're in the hall. Though it's kind of quiet right now. I think there's some sessions happening. We we were out here not long ago, and it was a hustling and a bustling. Which will. It's live from WFH. We're in Montreal, Canada. That's a whole other country other than the United States of America. It's true. We had to go through immigration. Oh, I didn't tell you this. You know what happened at the airport? What? We're coming through, uh, you know, what is the purpose of your trip? And I was like, you know, leisure, just I'm going, uh, I'm just being leisurely. And uh, there's a follow-up question. Oh, do you know someone in Montreal? I was like, I don't. I'm here for a conference and my wife and we're doing a little anniversary thing. And he's like, oh, which one? Hemophilia? He's an immigration guy. And I was like, "Uh, actually, yes. So the immigration at the airport here in Montreal, they know all about hemophilia. They know everything. Well, maybe not everything. I think they have a poster, actually, in the exhibit hall. The the, the TSA Canada people, whoever those are, they have a poster in there I'm going to go take a look at. That's incorrect. That's incorrect. That's not our update. But there there are a lot of good updates about a bunch of things, and we have not— Prepare this is a quick little check-in moment. It's Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday's winding down. This is the final day. The conference started, I'll say, in earnest on Monday. I know, Amy, you're headed off to the airport in a matter of like an hour. Yeah. So just before you head off, what, what are some of your big picture takeaways? What top line do you want people to know about your experience from Congress? Well, it's been a wonderful Congress. It's been smaller than in past years, obviously, but the feel is back. Like the feeling is, has been really wonderful. For those listeners that might not know, this is the World Federation of Hemophilia meeting. It's a World uh, Congress meeting. So members of the hemophilia community and the hemophilia clinical HCP community are here. I think my, my biggest takeaway from Congress this year was the amount of sessions. And actually they even had an entire track for women in particular, women with bleeding disorders. And the content that came out in particular with Von Willebrand's disease was so encouraging to me. I think one of the things that I've struggled with over the past couple of years is while hemophilia is booming in terms of pipeline, 
Von Willebrand's just has nothing. The, the conversations that I've had with several physicians, I mean, there's just nothing on the horizon. It's like just trying to figure out, you've got these little basket of therapies that everybody uses, the DDAVP, course clotting factors, stymate, hormone therapy for women with menorrhagia. And that's kind of it. And there's finally, there was finally some life, I think, to the pipeline conversation. One physician, he was from France, and of course, I forgot his name. That's like a typical Amy dude. I didn't write down his name. Probably Jean. <laughs> but you know what? Let's go with that. Um, anyway, he was very passionate about VWD. His research is in VWD. And he said the future of looking towards therapies, and he wrote a paper about specifically treating for type. So you treat type 3 very differently than you treat type 2 or type 1 because of the specificity of what that molecule is doing and the deficiency that it's doing, which I thought was fascinating. Really good stuff coming out for von Willebrand's disease. And then really, I think, encouraging things coming out for women who have hemophilia. And there's actually, ladies, I hope you're listening to this, ladies. Um, there's actually a legitimate scientific paper about basically terminology with women who have mild hemophilia. And we're shifting away from the hemophilia carrier. Of course, you you are a woman who carries that gene. Really trying to redefine what symptomatic and asymptomatic means, but truly getting into the nitty gritty of if you have levels that you are in the mild, moderate, or severe range, we're going to call you mild, moderate, severe hemophilia. And I think it was presented by Dr. Robert Sidonio, and he truly believes that women should be called what they are in order to get treatment. One in five mild hemophiliacs are women. And hopefully physicians start asking you questions that probe a little bit deeper in terms of your joint health and some bleeding that you might have no idea that that's what's the cause pain or something like that. So anyway, I, I was very encouraged with the amount of data, resource, resources, and like chutzpah behind women with bleeding disorders here. We're learning a lot about the actual bleeding outcomes long-term of mild hemophilia, where people are not reporting bleeds, don't believe they're having bleeds, but then upon imaging... that it is a bleed. Like, it's, you know, you, you've just lived with it. They, they mentioned that as well. No idea that it's probably joint bleeding. You're just, you think it's a pain in your joint. I've heard that from women 100%. And men with mild hemophilia who don't think they have anything to worry about, but then when the, these parties have imaging done, yeah. there's images that are consistent with deterioration of the joint, consistent with hemophilic arthropathy, which is a unique form of bleeding, a unique form of arthritis because of the complexities of hemophilia-type bleeding. So we know on the other side of the bleeding events that they happen, but we're not, we're not identifying them as they're happening. So there's this misunderstanding that, oh, if you have mild hemophilia, you're not really bleeding a lot unless you, quote, bleed like a severe. N no, it doesn't have to be such overt bleeding to be bleeding that's doing lifelong permanent damage for men and women alike. Mild hemophilia, there's like a, a little mini revolution, it feels like, right? I feel like that too. I really feel like that too. And so many physicians said very clearly and without, I, I don't know, it, it was just clear and, and without, I guess, spunk or whatever, but they were like, sexism is still prevalent in medicine. Yeah. And I think for so many women that have been longing to be heard, this is a moment that I thought was really lovely to have the amount of people in that room and to, to be, have it heard by that many people. 
And these meetings only happen once every two years. And the folks here are the people who are published in journals around the world, who are leading and are primary investigators in clinical trials, who are director of hemophilia treatment centers. So you mentioned, you know, it's, it's providers, it's very clinician research science heavy, and it is the best of the best of those folks. So if there's if there's information that is really breaking through to people in these rooms, these are rooms where like that information is going to go back to these different centers and these different places all around the globe and there'll be a ripple effect from that. So that's very, very cool. Any other thoughts that you want to share before we wrap up our little mini segment here? I'm interested to hear what you thought and and your bullet points. We didn't attend that many sessions together. No, we didn't. Which was... Nor did we prepare for this little moment. So we've had very different experiences of the Congress so far. So I'm just kind of interested to see what you thought. I know you've done a lot of gene therapy stuff. Anyway, I'm just interested to hear what you thought. Yeah, a bunch of gene therapy stuff, some emicizumab-related stuff, various humanitarian aid program-related stuff. And then, of course, we had we had a social media session. I had another social media session with some other people. One of the things that is feeling present, I think in part because this morning's plenary by Glenn Pierce is a little top of mind, I find him so plain-spoken, and he's so uniquely expert as someone who was born with hemophilia, experienced coke contaminations, is a trained scientist, a medical doctor, a researcher, a drug developer, an entrepreneur. He's working across AAV gene therapies, not just in hemophilia, but across the entire development class. So he's got a very, very well-informed perspective. And his perspective, to summarize from this morning, as far as AAV gene therapy and hemophilia A and B goes, is that we, we've still got a ways to go, especially for A. The differences between the AAV therapies and the data related to A versus B are pretty striking. It's so easy to say. It's like, talk to your doctor. These things are so easy to say, but it really is absolutely critical that people assess what are the other options for me. And if you have hemophilia A, there are many options for you. There are a lot of other treatments. Of course, it's access is different. There's There's particulars to this, but from a scientific therapeutic development standpoint, we have longer lasting factor products. We have emicizumab. There's other memetics. There's a memetic coming next. The next version of emicizumab, the half-life that it has, is somewhere in the vicinity of like 15 times that of emicizumab. Oh my God. That's like, so yeah. there, there's no rush. Not yeah. for, I don't feel it as a patient yeah. with hemophilia. I don't feel a rush. Another thing though that I will mention, and this came up in a couple of different presentations, one of which I attended and another one I've heard people mention, is that it is worth thinking about if with gene therapies, the goal is cure. But if we find, for example, that first generation gene therapy in hemophilia A is going to last, the durability is somewhere in the five to 10 year range. It's not a forever product and you can't get redosed. Okay, well, there might be certain people at certain stages of their lives for whom for five, six, seven, eight years yeah. to more or less, quote, not have to worry about hemophilia yeah. might be the right choice for them. Right. The risk-benefit decision tree for them might be, hey, right. I'm about to go off to college and then maybe grad school, right. or I'm about to have a child, or I'd like to travel the world, uh, right. whatever. I don't want to deal with hemophilia. And I know that means on the other side, I might, the durability may be gone, and, right. but we'll also have another five, six, seven years of scientific development. There might be even more options available to me for treatment at that time. Right. Maybe there's even things within the world of gene therapy, non-AAV right. there. So that is a kind of an interesting perspective shift. If the goal is and ought to be, in my opinion, and I think this is shared by Glenn anyway, <laughs> cure. Right. But there is value to the therapy if cure is not what it turns out that it can provide, but then we have to sort of adjust a lot of how we prescribe it, how it's reimbursed. There's a lot of like things that come with that. But I hadn't heard of anyone refer, hemophilia vacation was a term 
that was used. That was a long vacation, a five to 10 yeah. year vacation. I don't know what kind of vacations you take. I, I don't take that long, which is a bummer. Like maybe we should, maybe we should, we should do that. Shoot. Yeah, that's a good point. Wow. All right. So that's a fest and action item. All right. You have to go to the airport. I'm going to go hang out with a baby and then make my way to the final night dinner. Oh, Anything you want to say before we sign I just, I love getting back and doing this. I think it's been really refreshing for me personally to hear from the people that are doing it. It's just different than reading it, than seeing an update or something. It's just been really nice to be back in the thick of things, to realize that even through the pandemic, research has still continued. There, There's still advances being made in bleeding disorders. And I think the community feels, it feels strong. It, it has felt really nice. So it, it's been a really good conference. Yeah, I agree. And I can see it, as you say it. I yeah. can see you light up a bit. Yeah. All right, we'll have a safe trip back and I'll okay. see you. I'll see you back in the United States oh of America. See you back in the States. Okay, thank you, previous Amy and me. And thank you to CSL Bearing. And remember to check out www.hemevolution.com by clicking on the link in the program notes. Heme Evolution. <laughs> thank you for taking that. Um, so <laughs> listeners, before we'll get into the Let's Talk Mental Health segment here now, in just a couple of moments. I want to give you a quick update, though, about a few of our other Bloodstream Media Network podcasts, especially coming off of that WFH talk that you just mm-hmm. heard. Maybe you want to hear more about the latest and greatest research in hemophilia. Well, there's a pod for that. Hey-o. The Global Hemophilia Report. As you know, you've heard about it here before. Episode four on bone and joint health, a natural follow-up to our prophylaxis episode, talking about MRIs and ultrasound and gate labs, biomarkers. Amy, I didn't know what a biomarker was I before I started this episode. But you can listen to episode four and learn more. It's available right now and made possible through advertising by Sanofi. The Pain Pod is wrapping up our fourth season, episode six. Phenomenal season. Oh, it's so much fun. The latest episode of Pain Pod. We're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about it. (laughs) Season four, episode six. It covers the stigma around pelvic pain with two pelvic floor physical therapists. It is a fantastic episode. Mel Forrest is crushing season four of the Pain Pod, and it is made possible by Tremo Pharmaceuticals, who also are one of the supporters of the Final Summit, our brand new podcast that launched earlier this week. Episode one features some untold stories and moments from Chris Bombardier's historic climb of Mount Everest and includes some incredibly vulnerable reflections Mm -hmm. on the risks that he was taking. There's audio between him and his wife, Jess, discussing if he didn't come home again. Powerful stuff. You're not going to hear anything like this anywhere else. Check it out. And thank you to Tremo Pharmaceuticals and to Genentech for supporting that show through advertising. And of course, you know about the Flow podcast. You know about Cheat Codes, our sickle cell podcast. There's the Just Listen Voices of PK Deficiency podcast presented by Agios, Once Upon a Gene with host Effie Parks. You can find all of these and more. There's even more (laughs) at bloodstreammedia.com. Lots of great rare disease content for your earballs. Here, (laughs) here. All right. So now let's get on to the latest personal and powerful Let's Talk mental health segment. Let's Talk. It's a partnership between Bloodstream Media and Sanofi, and it aims to create an environment where we can have open, honest conversations about mental health in the bleeding disorders community. Let's Talk strives to shed light on the topics that are often invisible and not spoken of in the community and shares tips on how to care for your or a loved one's mental health. If you or someone you know has experienced feelings that have impacted your mental health, talk to your healthcare provider and find educational resources at letstalkmh.com. Sanofi is proud to sponsor this podcast segment because they believe that each one of us has a story. 
Visit shareyourwhy.com to meet the Sanofi Core team and hear from them and members of the community about their story and passion for the hemophilia community. And with that, let's talk. Hey, it's Jessica from The Well and Flow. I'm hopping on just before this segment starts to let you know this one is a little bit tricky. It involves discussions not just of loss and death in general, but also the topics of young death, conception, pregnancy, and miscarriages. The segment is not super graphic or detailed, but if these topics are a trigger for you, or if this isn't a topic you want to discuss with little Susie or Billy or Xander sitting in the back seat as you drive them to swimming lessons or augmented reality lessons or whatever it is you listeners do these days, well, fair warning. The segment is about 12 minutes long and is starting right about now. This past weekend, my wife, Courtney, was working a double shift. I had just gotten back from a trip to Arizona for work, shooting a quick video about a person out there living with von Willebrand disease. And to put it simply, I was in need of some R&R. I wanted to read. I wanted to bike. I wanted to sprawl out in a hammock and enjoy myself. And I did all three quite successfully, I might add. But it ended in turmoil, the likes of which challenged my mental health for the next few days. It was not what I intended when I set out to laze about, but the environment I was in ended up bringing some stuff to the surface that I hadn't thought about for a while and was still in need of processing, I think. Well, thanks to therapy, I knew exactly what to do in that situation. Let's talk. It's Saturday afternoon. I pull my camping hammock from storage, I pack it in the back of my bike, and I hit the road to go to the nearest park. I'm a little out of shape, and what I couldn't tell from perusing Street View on Google Maps was that the way to the park was a slight incline almost the entire way. It's okay, I like the challenge. I do. I was earning my fun in the sun. I pull into the park and do a loop along the paths, looking for the perfect spot. Passing little league practices, busy playgrounds, and picnics. The spot needs to be away from other people, have the appropriate amount of shade, and have two trees the right distance apart for a hammock, but small enough to chain up my bike around it as well. I settle on a spot right off the path, with the parking lot about 100 yards down the hill, a horseshoe pit on my right, and a baseball diamond behind me. I took out my stuff and set up shop for the afternoon. I've been reading a book called Middlesex that was popular a few years ago, telling the story of a family of Greeks who, through genetic crossover, end up birthing an intersex child who is the main narrator of the story. The book is fantastic so far and talks a lot about family. The whole thing is about family. So I take out my book and for the next 90 minutes dive into the 1930s where the grandparents of the narrator are navigating not just the Great Depression, prohibition and raising children, but also finding out for the first time the genetic dangers of incest. It's a challenging and eye-opening read that I won't get too far into, but for the sake of my story, it's a lot of hard family stuff. Over my left shoulder, I can hear a coach saying, I'm gonna call out the name of a base. And when I do, you all have to run to it. Everybody got it? Okay, remember, we have a first base, we have a second base, we have a third base, and say it with me, home plate. Everybody ready? And second base. I realize my eyes are scanning the page, but I'm no longer reading. 
I'm excitedly eavesdropping on the practice, wondering what the kids look like from deep in my hammock. Are they girls or boys or both? Are they in uniform or street clothes? Are they five years old or ten? Either way, it just must be the cutest thing. A huge roar from a crowd down the hill. That must be older kids playing an actual game. Middle school? High school? Whoever hit that pop fly must be high on life. Their parents so proud. The charcoal and grilled meats waft by like a large, slow bird. What a perfect day. What a perfect environment for a good, relaxing read. I hit the pages again. I'm enjoying it, but slightly disengaged now. The words are harder to process. The sounds and smells are taking over. And then I hear a little boy and his mom. Oh, wow, yes. Someone's enjoying a lay in their hammock. That's neat. No, no, okay, let them be, leave them alone. I can't help myself any longer. I pull down the side of my hammock to see a small boy just a few inches away. He looks shocked. I was not the person he was expecting to be in a hammock, not in his imagination anyway. I smile and say hello, and he's frozen. I look to his mother, I smile, I wave. Sorry. She says coldly. It's totally fine, I laugh, I heard you coming. She gives me this weird half-smile, grabbing her kid by the wrist, and quickly escapes towards the parking lot. I try to get back into my book, but now the air has turned sour. The nice, cool breeze has turned cold, cutting through the nylon of my hammock. The sun is starting to get lower in the sky, and the ground isn't holding as much warmth. The smell from the grill starts to rot in my nose. The little league practice is replaced by bro high schoolers swearing like sailors. Do sailors still swear a lot? In a desperate attempt to impress their friends with crude comments and trying to hit baseballs far enough to accidentally go into the parking lot or busy street. But none of this is what's really bothering me. What's truly boring little holes underneath my skin are the thousands of creepy, crawly, evil little thoughts that I try to keep at bay in the locked compartments of my mind. The thoughts I know are better faced than trapped away because I've seen fantastic beasts. I know that wild animals are never truly tamed. No matter how wonderful the inside of your magical suitcase is, a Niffler will always escape and steal some gold. And bad thoughts, no matter how deep you pack them, will always escape to steal your joy. When I was 13, I knew I wanted to be a father. I knew in my bones, from every pimply pore on my face to calloused heel on my feet. I was barefoot 80% of my youth by choice. It just felt better. I got married young to the wrong partner, and it took me quite a lot of searching in life to get to where I am today with my soulmate. Courtney and I met later in life. I was still navigating my divorce, navigating a new city, a new full-time job, my career here at Believe Limited, and, well, things just took time. I'll spare you the details, but one day while I was on a trip for work, I, I think I might have been in Kentucky filming a young man's story about being a musician with hemophilia, I, I got a call. And standing in some 90-degree parking lot with Ryan answering some emails in the car, I found out that Courtney had tested positive on several pregnancy tests. I felt fear and joy rush over me. Mostly joy, if I'm being honest. And when I got home, we went out to dinner to talk about it. We decided since it was early to not get our hopes up. So I immediately bought an audiobook about fatherhood and listened to it to and from work every day for the whole week. My eyes felt brighter, my steps lighter. I felt like I was finally going to join the club that everyone around me seemed to be a part of. 
And then one week later, I found myself in the emergency room holding Courtney's hand as they informed us that her body was rejecting the pregnancy. Good thing I bought that parenting book. And I'm not being sarcastic. Literally, the first few chapters were about complications and miscarriages and was a tremendous help to preparing me for the worst, preparing me to be a good and supportive partner, to understand what her body was going through and why these things might happen. This wasn't a reflection on us. This was her body doing what it knows how to do. Courtney's body likely sensed an abnormality that could cause more harm than good and decided to pull the ejection seat. But it didn't feel like we were floating to safety on a parachute. It felt more like we were plummeting through the sky like rag dolls. It took a lot of time to talk about it with other people, but it felt good when we did. And last year, when I got myself into therapy, we talked about it there too. So when it all came rushing back, when the hammock went cold, and the sounds of children turned evil, when the meat on the grills turned to rotting zombie flesh and the sky darkened and the shadows grew up with burning ember eyes and long claws of dark, hurtful thoughts of being the weird older guy in a hammock near the playground, I took a moment and acknowledged that feeling. I put my book down, I peeked over the edge of my hammock, and I looked at the teens swinging away hard at slow pitches. I looked at the moms wiping boogery noses and the boys eating charred hot dogs slathered in ketchup and the little girls heading in their abundance of pads to the concrete slopes of the skate park at the bottom of the hill. I thought about my miscarriage, about that lost opportunity and how, despite trying ever since, we haven't come close the past few years to what we had that one exciting week of hope. And that's what we lost that day. That glimmer of hope. It didn't feel like losing a human because it was so early on. I can only imagine what that must feel like. It's got to be so much harder. Especially a child, whether it be your own as a parent or a friend while you're still a kid yourself. I have an idea from talking to a lot of people in the bleeding disorders community who were kids and parents in the 1980s during the blood contamination crisis, the HIV AIDS epidemic, and the hemophilia holocaust. I know the stories well, from interviewing people like Val Bias for Bombardier Blood and spending lots of time with Jeannie White over the years, from interviewing the Ray family, visiting the AIDS Grove, and working with them on World AIDS Day content, and attending the conferences, with so many conferences. But hearing and documenting these stories is quite different from living it. So I feel like loss and the bleeding disorders community go hand in hand. This is the voice of Dwayne Whitus from an interview that Amy captured for me at HFA a few weeks ago. I was diagnosed with HIV when I was 19 in 1986. I was only one year old, just for reference. I came to my first national meeting in 1994, in Dallas, Texas, actually. And it was at the height of the HIV crisis. So I have lost friends. I, there's the, the group of kids that I grew up going to camp with, I think there were like 12 of us. I think there were like two of us left. So it's, it's always gone sort of hand in hand and losing mentors and friends and kids, you know, the, the kids in your cabin. I remember back in the, you know, the, the late 90s or kids would show up to summer camp, not even really able to get around. We'd put them in wheelchairs and move them around and they'd sleep, you know, nine or 10 hours a day, but they just wanted to, to be there. So, so loss is, is so integrated 
into this community that it's yeah it's that it's that constant phantom it's it's the sauce that gives a lot of this spice it's an unhealthy relationship uh, somebody once said write a memoir and i said if i did it would look like a hunter s thompson novel it would be just weird and hilarious and tragic and painful and joyful and all of that wrapped up into one crazy dysfunctional relationship Loss comes in all different shapes and sizes, from the loss of a small glimmer of hope to expected and timely old age departures to traumatizing unexpected deaths. It's a part of life, and loss is an integral part in how we experience hope and happiness. Without any sort of low, there is no high. Without loss, our lives would likely lack meaning, joy, and motivation. Loss is the ticking clock that drives us all forward from birth to death, and it's the ups and downs of the in-between that make it interesting, I think. I packed up my hammock. It was too cold anyway. But not until after I took a moment to feel my feelings and to get curious about where they came from. After biking home, I made some food and put on one of the scariest movies I've ever seen, which was a great distraction. It was a Thai movie called The Medium. Holy cow. And then later that night, after she had worked a 13-hour shift on her feet, Courtney and I cracked open a bottle of bourbon and sat on the couch for a long time, and I told her about my day. It wasn't enough to just feel these things. I had to talk. It's such an important part of the process of acknowledging the pain we carry through loss and grief that we will likely feel the rest of our lives and processing it not just as thought, but through speech. Something is released, little bits of pain and sorrow when we let the words escape our bodies through our mouths into the open air. Thank you to Dwayne for sharing his memories, to Jessica and Keith for helping me with this segment, and thank you to Amy and Patrick for giving me a place to talk about these things. Talking can be so healing. If you'd like some resources to deepen your understanding about mental health, if you're curious about where to start, check out letstalkmh.com and click resources. Next episode on The Well, Jessica will dive a little bit deeper into her understanding of loss, and as for me, well, let's talk next month. If you or someone you know has experienced feelings that have impacted your mental health, talk to your healthcare provider and find educational resources at letstalkmh.com. Thank you to Sanofi for making Let's Talk possible. Thank you, Josh, Jessica, Dwayne, and the production team for another outstanding segment and another great episode. Lastly, thank you as well to episode sponsor CSL Bearing, and thank you to Bloodstream Podcast's presenting sponsor, Takeda. Amy Board, we have got two really neat interview segments anchoring mm-hmm. the June 10th and June 24th episodes. The next two coming out. What can we share with listeners about those episodes? Well, on June 10th, we're talking about patient centricity. <laughs> Are we now? Which is a Looney Tune term. That is a Looney Tune what term. What does even that mean? That, patient centricity. Anyway, that's what the table is. What we're going to talk about. We have phenomenal, phenomenal panel to talk about patient <laughs> it's tougher to say than you want it to be. I'm shocked I got it out the first time. Twice, like, you got oh, it out twice really smooth. <laughs> anyway, we have phenomenal um, panelists. Um, uh, podcast host Effie Parks is going to be with us, as well as um, Bo Bigelow and 
Kyle Bryant from God, the Shooters Angels. Yes. Oh my gosh. I could like his name. It's been a few weeks and we've <laughs> completely traveled left a few me. places. Oh my goodness. And it was going to be phenomenal. And you and you know, listeners, um, if you're in a rare disease community, you have heard um, supporters, pharmaceutical manufacturers, um, talking about being patient centric and <laughs> centric. Centric. <laughs> Don't take that out. Keep it in. <laughs> Humanizes me. You know what I'm saying? Finally. Anyway, being patient centric, and what does that even mean? And how does that translate uh, to everyday lives of people that are um, affected by rare disease? So it's going to be a phenomenal conversation. And then the week after that, on June 24th, we have two doctors um, that treat thalassemia patients, and they are phenomenal, great personalities. And we can't wait to introduce you to those two guys. Looking forward to that. And with that, that is all for this episode. Reminder to subscribe to the Bloodstream Podcast wherever you listen, your favorite platform, and subscribe on the other ones as well. We'll take that. Share this episode with friends, family, colleagues, anyone that you care to share it with. And if you haven't already, do be sure to subscribe to the Bloodstream Podcast wherever you get podcasts. Have a bleeding disorders or health topic you'd like to hear us discuss more? Or is there an expert or a guest that you're dying to hear from? Want to inquire about storytelling or casting opportunities for Bloodstream's podcast or Believe Limited's films? Well, then email us at mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com or connect with us on social media. You'll find Bloodstream Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can also find myself or Patrick James Lynch on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We're both on LinkedIn. Now we both do LinkedIn. We're so proud of it. I am your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your other host, Amy Board. And until next time, take self-care of yourself. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. 